Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. The book of Acts that I know you've been exploring is sort of gospel adventures in mission. Nobody knew what they were doing. Nobody. Peter didn't know. Paul didn't know. They just went into these new villages. People responded and they thought, what do we do now? How do we teach people? There were no Sunday school materials. So everything is brand new in the book of Acts. It's exciting adventures of gospel mission with Peter in the first half of the book and Paul. And uh, so I'm really glad that you're going through the book or you're going through the first 12 chapters. I'm toward the end. Is that right? Yeah. So, okay. There are six to eight sermons in the book of Acts, gospel sermons that help us understand what the gospel is and what first century evangelism was actually like. It's not like the four spiritual laws at all. I thought I'd pause after that just in case someone's mad. I'm right. (laughs) You just look at the book of Acts. Acts 2 is a long sermon by Peter. Acts 3 and 4, short sermons by Peter. He was with the Anglicans that day. In Acts 10, moderate sermon, he was with the Baptists. <laughs> then Peter's, uh, Paul starts preaching in Acts 13 and 14, and then we have that long sermon by Paul at the Areopagus in Athens, which is a pretty cool place, and you can't quite tell if that's an evangelistic sermon or if it's a seeker-sensitive service because he never gets there. He just kind of gets everything started and then stops. So we learn a lot about the gospel and how they preach from these sermons in the book of Acts. And so Acts chapter 10 is one of those stories when Peter is preaching the gospel. What do we learn when Peter begins to preach the gospel? And the big idea today is that Peter wants us to see that the gospel is for all people not just us, all people. And so we want to focus on that. And if you listen to Melissa reading the scriptures, um, I'm glad the whole chapter 10 wasn't read, but it's quite a story of getting Peter out of his um, privileged status to actually preach to Gentiles. He was not too happy about this. So God has this, this, he has this vision, dream, and a sheet comes down, and on it is ham and shrimp and lobster. And Peter says, I don't eat these things. And God says, why? And Peter says, I'm making this up, but I'm right. You'll, you'll see. <laughs> he, says, he says, Peter says to God, I don't eat it because it's in your word. And God says, I'm going to shift. So you're going to learn that lobster is okay and that pork is okay and that shrimp is okay and that all these things that you thought were non-kosher foods are okay because I want you to understand that that's what we're going to do in the world now. So Peter is called to preach the gospel to Cornelius and we're going to look at these verses in Acts chapter 10 verses 34 to 48. 
one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. But I'd like you to look at verses 34 and 35, and then we're going to skip to another verse a little bit later in, in this passage so you can see what's happening with Peter. Peter begins to speak to Cornelius, and he says, I now realize, this is a moment of insight for Peter, how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. If you grew up Jewish, you grew up privileged in Jewish people's mind. The Romans could give a rip about Jews. Uh, they make fun of their funky rules and their way they practice Shabbat, our Sabbath. Uh, but, but Jews grew up knowing that they were the elect people of God. So they, they know that they are in the family of God. And Peter is learning that that privilege is now officially over. Or you could say, other people are going to inherit this privilege. So you can do it either way. You can have him lose and others win or have everybody as winners. And then in verse 44, it's actually verse 45, when Peter saw that the spirit had come upon all people, he said, the circumcised believers, this is Jewish law. Jews thought they were a cut above the rest. You'll use that somewhere, and you won't give credit to me. <laughs> the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. This is a crucial expression. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, listen to this translation, even on Gentiles, you know, Green Bay Packer fans. I had communication with God the other day. This would never have been said about Yankee fans <laughs> or Cardinal fans. Uh, okay. <laughs> They're in town. Okay. All right. So I'm just trying to support the neighborhood. Is that they were stunned that God was doing such a new thing. And they had never seen anything like this in their life. They had only seen... Jewish believers, this was the most difficult hurdle in, early, in the early adventures of gospel mission for Jewish believers to see that Gentile believers were coming into the faith and they were now brothers and sisters. This was the biggest challenge. And it was difficult everywhere Paul went. This became a problem. And it is important for us to realize that our inclusive God is working in all humans all the time. He is working in all humans all the time. I was teaching at North Park years ago, and I taught a course called Introduction to the Bible. 50% of my students were Christians and 50% weren't. Do you know what it's like to teach Leviticus? to those who weren't, it's weird. That's one of the most common words I heard. Well, this book is weird. What is going on? They didn't grow up in the church. 
So it was, it was one of my favorite classes to teach because it was sort of evangelistic without being so. I got to teach the Bible to people who didn't read the Bible. But they had to take the course because if they didn't take the course, they didn't graduate. So it was sort of imprisoned evangelism. <laughs> Sitting in the, uh, the first day of class, I always gave a quiz. And the quiz was designed for two. First, it was designed for me to figure out what these students knew about the Bible. Then I realized it became a test that humiliated them about what they didn't know about the Bible. So that was also good because, you know, they're 18-year-olds who think they know everything. It was kind of fun. <laughs> and I was old enough to put up with it. So um, after about 15 minutes of this quiz, the first question, by the way, was, who are the first two people mentioned in the Bible? After about 15 minutes, a student who's sitting in the back row comes up to me and says, I think I'm going to drop the class. I said, okay. I said, why? She said, I can't answer any of the questions. And I foolishly said, not even the first one? She said, not even the first one. So I said, what's your name? So she told me her name. I won't tell you her name. And I said, I'll tell you what. You can leave now. It's okay. But I said, you have to take this course at some point, and I'd like you to be in my class. And every time you have a question that you don't understand what I'm saying, just do this with your nose, because you sat right in the back row. And I said, I'll pause until, until you think you understand. So she came back the next day, and first couple classes, it was, you know, <laughs> we're dealing with Genesis and Exodus and stuff that nobody reads about anymore. And about halfway through the class, she went from rubbing her nose to eyes that were um, alive with what was going on. It was, pretty, it was pretty fun. Well, then, toward the end of the semester, um, there was some kind of assignment, and she started writing out her story. And she told me that her father had grown up in the Catholic Church, Polish Catholic Church, and he was abused by a priest. And he hates the church. And he hates God. And he said, she said, he wouldn't let us go to church. He wouldn't let us talk about God. And she said, I live at home, and I have to be really careful about what I talk about. And then she told, she wrote, she said, but when I started reading about Jesus in the New Testament, now this, if you are a church historian, you will catch the echo, but I'll explain it. She said, my heart was warmed by reading about Jesus in the Gospels. Okay, now John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church, described his conversion as my heart was strangely warmed. And I thought, oh, you could be a Wesleyan here. And she, she then told me several times she's going to church every Sunday. Uh, she sneaks out of the house to go to church on Sundays. And two years later, she graduated. Three years later, she graduated. Very happy, glad that she was a Christian. And she was sitting in that front row, and I had no idea what God was going to do in her life. That's what's happening with people all around us all the time. You know, God loves other people as much as he loves you. That may be hard to accept, but it's true, right? So what we see here is that Peter says... 
I now realize that God shows no favoritism. We don't live in a world like that. Our world is filled with prejudice and bias and favoritism, systemically so, but not God. God knows everybody, he loves everybody, and he's working in everybody's life the same. Even if we don't see it and we don't like what we're seeing, God is at work in their life. A second observation I would hear, have here is that our inclusive God, his message is Jesus. Notice what Peter preaches here. Peter did not preach the four spiritual laws. He didn't even preach how to get saved. He told people about Jesus. And this is a summary of his words. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, uh, the good news of peace. This is peace among Jews and Gentiles. This isn't my heart. Uh, this isn't about, um, you know, it is well with my soul. This is peace among people. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in the Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, this little hillbilly town, on a hill in northern Galilee, no place. No one had ever come from there to do anything great in Israel. How God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Teaching college students for 17 years I learned this basic lesson. They like Jesus, but they don't like the church. Because Jesus and the church are not close enough to one another. Too much church is not enough about Jesus. When people come to church, they should know they're going to get a new, fresh vision of who Jesus is. They like him. My friend Dan Kimball wrote a book. They love they, they, they Jesus, but not the church. And he had spent an entire year in coffee shops in Santa Clara, California, in Santa Cruz. Not bad. Not a bad gig. And all he did was ask people why they don't go to church. And then he wrote a book about what they don't like about the church. And Dan and I have talked many times. They didn't get enough Jesus when they went to church. But Peter made sure Cornelius got a lot about Jesus. He said he went around doing good. The Hebrew word is tov. He did goodness. And doing good in this sense is, is not uh, being nice. This is about doing good things for the common good of the people in the communities where he was. And one of the good things Jesus did is he healed people. He took them where they were, and he put them at tables with people they had never been before. Look at the people who hang with Jesus in the Gospels. It's all the wrong people. Tax collectors, sinners, that's just a general term for bad guys, and prostitutes, and people who are nobodies in society. And Jesus said, we're going to be at Peter's house tonight. It's right on the lake on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. We're going to be there. Just come on over. He's got a big place. And if you can't fit in the room, he's got a nice little courtyard there too. 
So we'll be there. You'll hear me. And we're going to tell stories. And Jesus' parables emerge out of this table fellowship. And people would hear these stories, these little fictions, and they would enter into those stories like the way you've entered into Narnia or into Middle Earth. Middle Earth? That's not the same as Narnia. And Harry Potter? I've never read a word of Harry Potter, but I try to act like I have so people will resonate, you know? (laughs) Or Marvel movies, you know? You enter into that world, and all of a sudden you start seeing things, and then Jesus drops you back out in the Galilee, and you say, my life has been changed because I experienced the kingdom of God in that story of a mustard seed, in that story of the prodigal son, in those stories about people catching fish in nets. My life was transformed. Jesus told stories, and people like Jesus. And I can't tell you enough that this is a difficult day for Christians. It's hard. But people will listen to you talk about Jesus. Or you can drop hints about Jesus because he's still as attractive today as he was in the first century. Tell people about Jesus. It's the only thing we got going for us right now. (laughs) Pretty good music, but it's not quite enough, all right? And we are to become witnesses, Peter says. We We are witnesses of what God has done through him. He died. He was crucified, is actually. He was strung up on a tree. And the NIV, the new NIV has a cross. I think the one you had had tree. Uh, The Greek word is tree, but it means a cross as well. So translate it as you will. But God raised him from the dead. They killed him, but God raised him from the dead. That's the good news. That this man who was crucified in an act of gross injustice God raised from the dead. This story is attractive. Sitting also at the back row of one of my classes one time was a Muslim student. I knew she was Muslim because she wore a hijab. And this was a different class. It was Jesus of Nazareth. And about the third or fourth week of the class, I had a wonderful, humiliating test that I gave to students. 365 questions, trivia, about the Gospels. And this was designed, you know, to get them to realize you're going to have to read this book. You've got to read these books and figure this stuff out. And um, the top score in the class was this Muslim student sitting at the back. And I knew she had to be cheating because she was Muslim. Because <laughs> it's not right for Muslims to be Christians at their own game. Well, whenever I got to class, she was always already at the back of the room. She was always the first student there. I never beat her there, never talked to her. And after this test, I thought, I got to talk to her. Um, I didn't talk to her for a while. Then we had a paper. I always had my students turn in the papers way before the end of the semester because do you know what it's like for students to do papers the last week of class? college students they don't sleep and their papers look like it (laughs) so I would always have my major paper seventh or eighth week in the in the term she writes a paper with the title the Christology of Jesus himself I mean what student 
gets a title like that for a paper. And it was so good. I thought, she plagiarized it. You can't be this good. You're Muslim. So I said, I got to meet her. So she always also was the first person to leave class. So the first one there, as soon as class was out, she was out the door. So I finished class at, can I stand here? I finished class at the door. You're not getting by me this time. So as she went by me, I stepped out in the hallway, and I used her name, and I said, you're doing really well in this class. I'm kind of surprised. And I thought, that's not the right thing to say. <laughs> she, I said, I'd love to talk to you. She said, uh, what time do you get to your office on Tuesdays and Thursdays? And I said, 7 o'clock. She said, I'll be there at 7 o'clock Thursday. I went, okay. Not many college appointments at 7 a.m. <laughs> so she comes in my office, and I said something like that again. I said, you know, you're doing really well, and I'm kind of surprised. She said, don't be surprised, Dr. McKnight. I'm a Christian. She said, my father is from Lebanon. If he knew that I was a Christian, he would send me to Lebanon, and I would never see this country again. I'm like, whoa. So we had a great conversation. Um, and she told me about how she goes home every day, 3 o'clock, gets home. She had to go to North Park because her father wouldn't let her go anywhere else because it was the closest college to her house. 3 o'clock, she says, I go to my room, I lock my bedroom door, and I read the Bible till dinner time with my parents. And then she looked up and she said, your Christian students don't read the Bible very much. She was right. But God was working in her life, too. You know what she liked about Christianity? Jesus. She loved the course on Jesus. He attracted her to himself. We've got Jesus on our side. Or we should put it this way. We're on Jesus' side. Let's tell people about Jesus. Show people who Jesus is. All right. I could go on with this, but I... I'm not in a Baptist church, so i got to move on. <laughs> Our God forgives. Our God forgives. In verse 43, all the prophets testify about Jesus. All right? That's Isaiah through Malachi. All of them testify about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Forgiveness of sins. People are looking for someone who can say to them, you're accepted with God. They're looking for that. They want to know that God's grace is so overwhelming. What was the song? That you sink in it. It drowns you with its goodness. Another story. Front row of a class, Introduction to the Bible, Jewish student. I'll call him Reuben. Okay, that's a good Jewish name. And... Uh, Reuben said to me, in the, he said the first day of class, everybody introduced themselves, he says, I'm Jewish. I said, I said, Reuben, why are you at North Park? He said, it's the only place in the United States that will let me on the football team, <laughs> which tells you something about our football team <laughs> at the time, which I think has been the case most of the years. So Reuben, um, I said, did you grow up Orthodox or any? He says, never went to synagogue. My dad doesn't care what I believe. I said, okay. So he gets into it. He, he loved Leviticus. He wanted me to explain Leviticus all the time. 
And then we got into the New Testament, we got into Jesus, and we got into this book, the book of Acts, chapter 15. And I told him about academic discussions that are going on today where people are debating, do you call these people Jewish Christians or Christian Jews? All right? And I didn't settle it. I just said, you know, there's a lot of debate about this. I've been an academic professor, you know, nobody knows for sure, so do what you want. He, he comes up to me after class. He says, so if a Jewish person is a believer in Jesus, are they a Jewish Christian or a Christian Jew? I said, Max, or Reuben. I said, <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just told you I don't know for sure which one we, we should use. He said, well, I kind of want to know. I said, why? He said, what do I call myself? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, I became a follower of Jesus last night. I want to know what I am. I said, you're a brother. I said, we're brothers. So two years later, I meet his wife working in the cafeteria, and she says, Max just accepted to be a youth pastor in one of the churches in Chicago land. Right. You know what he liked? He liked Jesus and the forgiveness of sins because he told me he had a lot of them to be forgiven. God forgives sins. This is a part of what God does for us. Our inclusive God is an empowering presence. This is one of my favorite ones. And this is why I think we need to talk about Jesus more than we do. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking, not after he spoke, not before he spoke, but while he was talking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is a promise of God that when we give witness to Jesus, that the Spirit of God is going to be present with us. We may not see it. We may not sense it. We may not see impact, but the Spirit of God uses Jesus to draw people to himself. And we have to rely on that in our witness to know that whenever we talk about Jesus, the Spirit of God is present. Finally, our inclusive God speaks through baptism. The, the early church baptized people because it symbolized and embodied their faith. They went down into the water they, they didn't just sprinkle people. We do that in the church, and that's okay. But they went down into the water as to die from their previous life with Jesus. And they were raised up from the water. Paul discusses this in Romans chapter 6. They were raised up. So this is a death with Jesus and a resurrection with Jesus so you can have a new life with Jesus. The baptism embodies it. It also is embodied when the Peter says, they said at the end, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Fellowship, time together, prayer, a life together is a part of embodying Christianity. You will be shocked to find out that people are more interested in our faith on the basis of what they see in us than what they hear from us. And if they see in you tov, goodness, they want to be a part of it. If they see in you Jesus, they want to be a part of it. But if they see corruption and toxicity, they're going to turn from it. And the church is challenged today to tell people about Jesus 
and to embody the way of Jesus in all that they say and do. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.